friends, Brie here, pre-show. I know I don't normally do this, but uh, just for a heads up, the next two episodes of this podcast have a little bit of audio weirdness on Chris's side. So it's not unlistenable, like you can tell what's happening, you know, it's it's not so grainy that you have to like squint with your ears or whatever. But you know, it's it's a noticeable difference in audio quality. So just giving you a heads up, we're aware of it. We are not by any means going to re-record it. So, you know, be gentle with us. And uh, we hope you had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Okay, bye. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to believe in myself. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind. We have not changed that rule and never will to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And as always, my friends, that is burnnoticed with a D. Gotta get that D in. Gotta get that D in. That's what we always say. That is what we always say. (laughs) So how are you doing this week, Bree? And (laughs) instead of telling me the truth like you did before we recorded, lie Mm -hmm. on microphone. Okay. Um, The lie about how I'm doing is that I'm doing great and everything is wonderful. And I definitely am happy with the amount of things that are on my plate currently. How about you, Chris? I'm doing peachy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do we have any top of show chatter or do we want to just fucking do this bitch? Let's do it. Let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. This will be interesting because I watched this like a couple hours ago. I've already forgotten everything about it. Oh, no. I really like this episode. Spoiler alert. I I looked at your notes. I'm like, all right, it's this one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good... I'm... Listen... I liked this episode a lot. Um, And what episode did I like a lot? Well, that's episode nine of season four of Burn Notice called Center of the Storm, a phrase that we all know and love when talking about storms. It aired on August 5th, 2010, and was written by Ryan Johnson and Peter Lilleanis, who both have only ever written for three television shows, Burn Notice, Blindspot, and Complications. So they seem to be a writing team. Also, I'm just going to double check. I think one of these writers follows us on Twitter. And also, while you look it up, I'm going to point out that this is Ryan Johnson with a Y. It is a different Ryan Johnson. No. Wait, are you telling me that this is not the Ryan Johnson that wrote Star Wars Return of the Jedi or whatever the hell it's called? Last Jedi? You're right. This is not the Ryan Johnson that wrote Star Wars Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Now all the people who love cops and love Star Wars are going to come after me. That's fine. If I know anything about Star Wars fans, is that they're historically really chill (laughs) and don't hate women. Definitely not. That's not what they're known for. I know what the Star Wars is. Ah, yes, he does. He fucking does. At Roller Stan on Twitter. Peter Lillianis. Oh my goodness. Oh, shit. Uh, Oh, shit. We're about to have another Burn Notice writer friend of the pod. Oh, my God. It's a good thing that we like this one. I mean... We don't know that I like it. 
Yeah, we don't know if you like it, but Peter, fuck, fuck Chris. I'm, I like this episode a lot. Um, and if you want, I can credit that all to you and none to Ryan, unless you guys are still friends, in which case, what a good team. <laughs> you guys seem great. You guys seem great. Uh, but yeah, so they, they seem to be like a pretty tight writers team. Literally, they've had roughly the same career. Uh, and both of them started as like writers assistants and script coordinators and stuff like that, worked their way up to the writers room of Burn Notice and then worked on Complications, which is another Matt Nick show, right? I didn't I look at it, but I, I feel like Complications was another Matt Nick show. If it's it not, might who be. cares? Uh, and then now they both work on Blindspot. So um that's cool. Good for them. I'm happy to see that their careers yeah. have such a linear trajectory. They yeah, seem to so be like nice. it's so nice to see like dudes. people who stick together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, friendship, etc. Uh, yeah. And this was uh, directed by Colin Buxey, an Emmy winner for an episode of Fargo. He directed. He also notably directed a number, of, uh, an episode of Numbers. So uh, that's but just one episode about. of Numbers. Yes, just one episode of Numbers. <laughs> Not a number of but, episodes. But, but he held, he, he fucking, he directed it, and that's a connection that I needed. He's also directed three Burn Notice episodes, one in the future, this one, and then that episode in season one, season one, episode three, with that terrible teenage daughter. Oh my uh, God. That was him. He directed that episode. Oh. I don't remember what we thought of the directing at the time, but this guy's an Emmy winner, so it must be good. Must be good. He did direct an episode of Numbers. I'm assuming he directed number seven. <laughs> Why number seven? Oh, uh, that's just my guess. Dear God. Okay, cool. Well, that's all I have to say. The IMDb was not very interesting. The IMDb uh, rabbit hole was not very interesting this month. So uh, the IMDb description for this episode reads, in the aftermath of a hurricane, Michael poses as a hitman as part of a plan to protect a federal witness and is forced to turn to Vaughn so that he can speak to Simon about his coded Bible. Oh my God, the coded Bible. The coded Bible. The, the good word. Bible. And to be fair, this is a Bible that is also a code, not a Bible that is coded in something. This is not a coded <laughs> Bible. No, it's not coded. Next episode is where something gets coated in something. Exactly. But we'll get to that. <laughs> but we'll get to that, week. of course. Yes, that's next week. Fuck next week. We're living for the moment here. Exactly. And, uh, Who knows if we'll even be alive next week. It's true, especially because this episode comes out after the election. Who knows if we're uh, alive right now? Oh my God, what if we're dead? What if this is a missive to the future? I better get to editing these episodes because I've got yeah, exactly. behind on editing. I've been editing like the weekend an episode comes out. Anyways, part of living in the moment, Chris, I have learned is uh, getting into the weeds as early as you want. And I really want to get into the weeds. Do you want to get into the weeds with me? Um. You know what? I'll come into the weeds with you. I was listening to another podcast that I've been listening to a lot lately, which is really good, called uh, You're Wrong About. It's a really fun podcast where they kind of- About like, like misconceptions, like things yes, that exactly. are commonly held beliefs. Okay. Yeah. It's but a good like, podcast. One of the hosts of that episode mentioned that she really liked getting into the weeds on ah. an episode that she did. And I was like, I felt a kinship. It's like, we too often get in the weeds. We do. And uh, spoiler alert, I'm in them right now. So you better fucking jump in because I'm, right, I'm, I'm jumping into the weeds. Full steam ahead. Weed right. whacking, etc. I couldn't pull them. These weeds are wet really because of another reason. 
And that reason is <laughs> An unrelated reason these weeds are wet. Uh, and this episode starts with the main gang puzzling over the Bible cipher. Because, of course, we cannot tell Jesse about the Bible cipher too much because Jesse doesn't know who Simon Escher is. And Michael doesn't want him to know because, obviously, dots would be connected. Michael also reveals that he asked Vaughn. Remember Vaughn, who hasn't been in this, epi- this show for, like, ten episodes? Uh, he's asked him to come into town so that he can ask him if he can meet up with Simon because Vaughn has Simon in like a another black ops prison which is I guess where Simon spends most of his life at this point and everyone's like that's a bad idea and Michael's like well sucks to suck we need Simon to figure out this bible thing and they're like okay um when the waitress reveals here's my question okay that is my question that I have about the next two episodes frankly okay they're trying to figure out who hired Simon Right? No, they're. Tr- I no. I think what they're doing is trying to figure out who, like, what the Bible cipher is. I think it's pretty. No, no. But I the don't... reason that they're trying to find out why the Bible cipher is a thing, like what it is, is that the Bible cipher was like a clue to figure out who it was that was like starting wars or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, and the like, ultimate goal is to get the war for profit. Exactly. Like, and the war for profit people hired Simon. Did they? I thought that Simon was working for management and then went rogue, and that's when they swapped him out for Michael. Well, like, but Simon I, was I think hired by people. That. That's why he was in Miami. Like, like that's why he blew up our our good friend, whose name I've forgotten, with the kind face. Um, this is so long ago. What, as Diego? best I can tell, Simon was working for someone. They mentioned it. Last no, 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 week, no, no, I believe. no. Gil- Gilroy was working for somebody, and it turned out that somebody was Simon. Exactly, and Simon was working for someone too. Like, was he? Does that yes, something we this found is out? the whole point? Like we talked about this last week when they reminded so wait, is, us that we, Simon existed. Are we supposed existed. to assume? Are we supposed to assume that Simon was playing double agent? So like he was hunting down the war for profit, and then was like, actually, fuck management, and war for profit was like, well, cool. Fuck them. Do you want to come work for us now? And he was like, sure. Is that like what we're supposed to assume? I think so. Because if I that's mean, what like, we're supposed the... to assume, I miss that entirely. Well, no, I also because, still like... don't know how the fuck Simon, well, I guess no. I know how Simon found out about Michael Weston. So that's been solved. Yeah, how no. did he get a message was... to Gilroy? By I the still time... don't know how that happened. By the time he's like going after Michael, he's been fired for a while. Right. By management. Well, he was in a black ops prison for a while. Exactly. He was a black ops prison. And then, like, he uses, like, Gilroy to get him out. But it seems like he had, like, a job to do. He wasn't just getting out to get Michael. It seems as if he was hired by the War for Profit people. I he had think... some sort of feelings with them. That's why he has the Bible. Right. Well, no. So I think if what you're saying is true, and I don't remember it, because clearly I haven't been paying attention, because this macro plot that's been going on for four seasons makes absolutely no sense. But what I have pieced together is that, and this is spoiler alert for next week, I guess. So if you're watching in order, sorry, uh, we watch these episodes two at a time. But I think what happened is that Simon switched sides, and this Bible has something to do with the sides he switched to. And I think what we're supposed to believe is that when he heard about Michael Weston and learned a little bit about him, uh, he came to Miami to, like, almost recruit Michael because he thinks that maybe Michael is similarly pissed off that management got him burned. And so, like, yeah, no, that's possible. I think that's why he was in Miami. I think think that makes sense. 
I still don't know who killed Diego. That doesn't. That's, I thought that, that was still doesn't. Was that not Gilroy? Well, it was, but why did he kill Diego? Because remember, Diego thought that it was because of Strickler. I thought that was that... for. I thought Simon had that done for the war for profit people. Why? I don't know. That's not a thing. Because it was because the Diego assumed that he was being killed because of uh, Strickler. Remember the the yeah. the agent to the spies. <laughs> Right? It's all dumb. Okay. <laughs> the Here's Diego my question. piece is the thing that still is confusing. Okay, why have you stopped me from literally the first scene recap? Here's my question that confuses me. It seems as if Simon knows the person that they're looking for. And like, right, spoiler yeah. for next week, he does. Mm-hmm. Why on earth is Michael like calling him now just to get information on the Bible? Well, I don't think they know that he knows. I think that they thought it was maybe just like no, the next because step, the whole time, out. like Michael has been saying it. Last week, he said, "Like, I care about this because it's the one. This is the case. These are the people that hired Simon." He says this. So maybe we did know that. We knew that. Is, this what is... is that is that your question? Is did we know that Simon was hired by the War for Profit? I people? believe we knew this. This was mm. definitely knowledge that we've had. Do you remember having this knowledge? Yes. Hence my confusion in this episode. Oh, so yeah. See, I assumed we didn't know this because I didn't know it, and then I was like, oh, okay. But I guess Simon. This episode is assuming now. we don't know it. I think. Well, I didn't, so they assumed right. But also, we've definitely been told this. Like, I'm. I don't maybe know this why... is like the episode where we got it confirmed, and it was just like a assumption because we haven't seen Simon in a season. Maybe and a half. I don't know. This whole plot is dumb. I assume that it's about to come to a conclusion. Either management or the guy in charge of the War for Profit is going down at the end of this season, and then if they continue doing this whole song and dance, it will be either. It will be like us hunting down the final piece of it in season five or blessed day. We are done with this entirely. But I think this is the season where it comes to a head. Right. Yeah. We, we truly, truly cannot milk this any longer. I mean, you would be surprised. X-Files did it for a long time. <laughs> okay. May I continue with my recap? We're literally on point one. Yeah, let's go. You just really wanted to be like, this doesn't make sense. And it's it like, doesn't Christ make sense, but like, of course, it doesn't make sense. It's been bugging me. Like, it was bugging me in this episode. It was bugging me next week. Like, why? Why have they called Simon before? Like, he's no shit. It's like weird that like, oh, we have this Bible. So now we can ask Simon a question. Like, we can always ask Simon. Maybe a maybe we didn't know that Simon was a thing until we saw his name in the Bible. Because they were just like tracking down leads. But as soon as they saw his name in the Bible, they're like, oh. So it but does Simon's really part of the reason Simon. why they started doing this. This is part of the reason why Michael cares. Before Jesse, the only reason that Michael cared about this was because someone hired Simon. Are you sure? I thought it was because he was... Simon was the, it turns out, another burn spy and the burn spy whose record they used to burn Michael. And he wants to take down management, but it sounds like management is onto a good job. So maybe he'll work with them for a little bit before taking them down. That was what I was assuming was going down. I don't think he knew Simon was hired. If anything, we found out last week when we saw his name in the Bible and we're like, oh shit, Simon Escher's back. I don't know. All right. 
I think Let's that's go. what's happening. I think maybe I'm, you're overthinking this. I don't think I'm going to. You explain what happens this episode. I'm going to consult the burn notice wiki. Okay, cool. So anyways, back to the first scene. Basically, the first scene is the main three minus Jesse uh, talking about this Bible and the fact that Michael has called Vaughn into town so that he can ask him very politely if he is allowed to speak with Simon, please. Can Simon come out to play? Um, and then a waitress at the bar that they're at is like, hey, you guys got to go. There's a hurricane coming. And Fiona remarks that it's not the worst thing on its way. So that's the kind of episode this is going to be. A lot of hurricane metaphors. And in fact, it is exactly that. There's like a hurricane metaphor in the next episode. Uh, Or not the next episode, the next scene. Speaking of the next scene, the next scene is uh, it's raining and Michael's at his loft and a knock on the door happens and it's Vaughn coming in from the rain. And the first thing that Vaughn does is shits on Michael's loft, which is fair, because his loft sucks. It everyone shits like, on Michael's loft. Everyone shits on it. But it's here's my standard thing. procedure. I, well, it's terrible. It's a fucking terrible place to live. You sh- you cannot live like this, Michael Weston. You are a grown man. And I'm, I'm thinking that it might be a long con foreshadowing, because I'm pretty sure at the end of this season, Michael and Fiona move in together, and Fiona makes the loft cozier. If I'm remembering correctly, that is a thing that happens soon. So maybe... Everyone's using this as an excuse to like, we have to get all of our jokes out now because we're going to make it nicer and more habitable next season. I don't know. That's just my assumption. But it doesn't matter. Michael's loft sucks. And um, so does Vaughn's attitude because Vaughn does not want to give Michael Weston Simon. And Michael kind of unloads all his frustrations on him in a moment of like very visceral anger that we're not used to seeing from Michael. And Vaughn's like, Still no. The the answer's still no. Still a no for me, man. And so Michael kicks his ass back out into the storm. Then there is another storm metaphor. And yeah, the no, it's cold like open so ends. dramatic too. It's very dramatic. And like, I don't even I didn't even write it down. <laughs> it's like so like dramatic. Like Michael's like, you're gonna go out and like it's a hurricane's happening and Bod's like, You're gonna send me out in that? And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> As if he's sending him to his death. Also, Vod's acting like they were just gonna hang out otherwise. Like maybe I mean, they just like put a bunch yeah, of, like put, put just, a couple of cold ones back and just hang out in Michael's terrible lightless loft. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's the only shelter from the storm. <laughs> the only one left in Miami is Michael Weston's terrible loft apartment. Yeah. So anyways, the cold open ends on a cold shoulder. Boom. Burn notice. Uh, oh so now let's move on to the rest of the episode. So uh, the episode proper begins with a bunch of like second unit B-roll of what must have been an actual hurricane around Miami. I'm assuming it happened maybe between seasons. So they're like, well, shit, we got to write this hurricane in the new season. That's what I'm assuming too. Mm -hmm. They sent a second unit team out and like, hey, just get a bunch of destruction and uh, we'll uh, we'll piece something together. Yeah, this definitely feels like them cashing in on a hurricane happen. I don't Mm -hmm. know what hurricane, but it happened. But it did. It sure did happen. Uh, And it transitions us to Michael going to check in on his mom and Jesse, who are like um, unboarding up the windows and Madeline's complaining. And apparently, despite telling Michael that they gone up to Jacksonville, or at least his mom had gone up to Jacksonville to, like, weather out the storm, uh, Madeline was like, fuck you. I've lived here 59 years. I'm not leaving. I We were fine. Me and Jesse just hold up. And, like, Michael looks immediately to Jesse, and Jesse looks extremely traumatized. Then Madeline says the word cream twice, which I didn't love. Uh, oh and then God. there's a knock at the door. <laughs> this, like, set, by the way, looks so fake. The, this is such a fake exterior set. of Maddie's house? Yeah. Well, they couldn't actually board up the actual house's windows. That would have been 
way more of a problem. Yeah. The person at the door is our favorite FBI guys from season one. They're back. They're also in next week's episode too. So yeah, they're uh, like this a weird. The gang's they all were here. like they're definitely here. Tweedledee and Tweedledum, my favorite. <laughs> I I refuse to ever learn their names, but it's the two FBI guys who used their to. Their names are Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And we love them very much. So the case of the week is, so basically the FBI guys come in. One of them has like a bullet wound on his arm, um, but they were mostly untouched. And what happened was that they were preparing a guy in Witsek for trial who had witnessed a murder by a Turkish syndicate. And unfortunately, the Turkish syndicate does not want him to testify. So they sent some goons after him and they shot up the place and the Witsek guy escaped in fear for his life and the FBI guys made it out with only a small scratch but now they're like well shit we lost this guy and now the FBI is mad at us so we have to go answer for that but also can Question you please help three. us we'd love to not uh, lose our jobs how much time do you think has passed between uh... them losing the guy and then coming to Michael that's actually a good question it must not be that long because he's like kind of bandaged up but like he's like actively still... bleeding yeah, he is actively bleeding. I think it, this guys is one of those episodes that like takes place over the course of a day. Like it happened weeks ago. Yeah, that was confusing. They they were talking about it like it had happened a long time ago and they've just but been like yeah. fucking around. But I think it pretty much like happened that morning and then they came to see Michael and then Michael takes care of it over the course exactly. of the day. Exactly. They are not phased by this. They are like going to lose their jobs. They have lost a man. He is actively on the run. No emotion. Nothing. <laughs> Like these, <laughs> these two fuckers who, as we have said many times on this show, cannot act their way out of the paper bag, are unable to sell the idea that, like, this all just happened at all. Like, they're supposed to have, like, just come from this because, like, yeah, they're, like, one of them is bleeding. Like, and they're just, like, yeah, we're FBI. <laughs> FBI, guys. Like, the same performance that they have always given in any episode nothing you know, changes these men there's something comforting about that you know the end of a hard like, day do you really need that much emotion no oh uh, whatever i guess we better go to michael weston <laughs> oh my god yeah no love these guys anyways there are two clues that might be able to help michael find the guy is that they know what um the license plate is of the car that the wit set guy stole to like escape and they also know the exact kind of gun that the attempted assassin was using and so michael was like cool you guys follow up on the car i'll follow up on the gun i know a girl and uh yay we get to go talk to fee i love fee I he is great. very much. You say, so, yeah, we go get to talk to Fia as if she's not in every episode. I know, but I, I still like it when I see her. And also I like it when I see her and she's talking about guns. It reminds me that she's a little dangerous and like, that's what I'm looking for in a woman. Okay, just really quickly. The burn in the oh, yeah. for the first episode <laughs> suggests that sure. Vaughn tells Michael that Simon's escaping was an attack on management that was organized by some other entity. Did they connect which, the entity to the work of, profit scheme or do they think it's a third party? No, I think they've connected it because that's the thing. Like he's being sent after this war for profit scheme. Uh-huh. So they know he's connected to it. And other and I know for a fact in other episodes, like Michael is like, these are the guys who hired Simon. Why on earth has he not talked to Simon before? I don't know. Anyway. Cool. Well now that we know that, let's talk to Fee. 
So since Mike's tracking down the gun, he of course heads to Fee's house and she is cleaning out her fridge of like ruined food from the power being out during the hurricane. Uh, and I really did like like the commitment to the hurricane having happened. Like the set piece of the like Miami after a hurricane was I think really effectively used in this episode. Like the world building of this episode I thought was really strong. It had a very sort of spooky, like post-apocalyptic quality to it. And yeah. I think they did a good job. Like it set a mood. And like, we're recording this the weekend before Halloween. So, you know, maybe that's part of it. Like I, I'm amped up in the spookies, but I think it, they did a really good job. Like this, this felt different. This episode felt different because of the the way that they utilize the hurricane. And like every layer of this episode was touched by that. Like every part of the case of the week of their, you know, dealing with Vaughn and the Simon debacle and all of that kind of stuff like everything that people are doing even in like the background has to do with the hurricane and i don't usually get that from burn notice so no I just wanted it's to call a, it out yeah it is a like commitment to like a holistic set like a holisticness mm-hmm. that is rare on this show that tends to half ass everything exactly this was a whole ass episode it is. Anyways. <laughs> uh, there's also, while Fiona is cleaning out her fridge, Michael, like, reaches in and grabs a drink and tries it and then winces. And, like, it, it's such a weird little detail. And, like, the, there's a lot of weird little Michael Weston moments in this episode that I really, really enjoyed. But this one is just, like, peak. Yeah, hair. it is very good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, Fee begrudgingly gives him a name uh, for who might know where this assassin got this gun. And she's like, this isn't for Vaughn, is it? And Michael's like, no, of course not, babe. It's for the FBI. And then like runs away with a cheesy, sheepish smile on his face. And it's extremely cute. It was like- It is really the, good. That was the first out loud laugh I got that this episode. And I had a couple, but like that was, <laughs> I love it when Michael is like, I'm helping the government, Fee, I'm sorry. No, it is really good. It was very fun. Uh, Then we get another fun scene where Sam accompanies Michael to say what up to the gun runner that Fee gave them. Um, But of course, the first thing he says is like, but, you know, is this going to be over soon? Because I got another lady hurricane waiting for me at home. So, you know, Sammy's getting some hammy after this episode and good for him. He deserves it. (laughs) It's a hurricane named Hurricane Michelle, he says. And then I was like, have you heard of Michelle before? I cannot remember if Michelle. Was I don't there. think so. I don't think we've had a Sam girlfriend in a while. Like I no. think since Miss Reynolds uh, from last season, I don't think we've had anybody by name at least. So that with a little bit of you know lying and kicking indoors, they make it inside this like warehouse where this gunrunner hangs out. His name is Pano, and uh, what Pano gives them at gunpoint is a name, Cole the guy that bought the gun and a possible lead on Cole's location. So then in order for him to not talk or let Cole know that they're on their way, they lock him and his goon into the trunk of one of the classic cars that they're restoring, I guess on the side of their gun running business and then hand them a bag of fried chicken so that they can eat before they call the sheriff on them. It was a very weird detail where like they had gone to like a chicken place ahead of time, got this bag of chicken chicken for them. It was (laughs) locked them in the trunk with It was such a strange detail, but also a nice one because I was like, oh okay, they're gonna be taken care of, you know? It's very merciful of him. (laughs) There's a lot of really great odd details in this one. I do believe that gun running is these men's job, is Pana's job, but classic cars is his passion. 
Exactly. The gun running like supports the passion. Of the classic cars, because that's how they threaten him to talk. They're like, they start like shooting his classic cars that he's restoring. He's like, no, no, not my baby. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's a great, it's a great little scene. Uh, and it ends with a couple of new clues. Uh, then we get just like basically an interstitial transitionary scene that we'll return to. But basically the transitionary scene is that Vaughn appears with lunch at Fiona's door. And he says he wants to talk about Jesse Porter. And then that's it. That's all we get. So we don't even see him coming inside. But we'll we'll get back to that scene. Don't you worry. So the next real scene is that Michael and Sam get to the apartment complex that they got from Pano um, of the suspected shooter. And since cell towers are down, you know, because of the hurricane, Sam is like, all right, I'll just honk if the guy comes back. And Michael's like, okay, I'm going to go search the place. And um, then Michael gets into the apartment, but it, he finds an interior room that has been like rigged up with a directional bomb. And it's one of those bombs where it's like attached to the door. So luckily he was cautious when he was going into search and he like grabs the fishing wire and is basically holding it steady as if it was still attached to the door and like kind of moving his way slowly up the fishing wire. And then it turns out as he's like very slowly trying not to set off this bomb, that he's not alone and that Sam doesn't need to honk because Cole has been there the whole time and walks out from behind the bomb because apparently this is a directional bomb, which I did not know was a thing. But in any case, even if Michael fucks up, Cole's going to be fine. And uh, he's there and he's like, let's talk. And Michael's like, yep, that seems that seems like the only thing that's going to happen. Let's talk. Jeffrey Donovan is great in this scene. He's great. He like, he sells the tension. He sells the frustration. He sells the fear. It's a very fun, tense little scene. Like I was actually like genuinely tense. I didn't stop to take notes at any point. I like waited for the scene to be over before I like went back and took my notes. That is how into the scene I was. I thought it was very well done. And so they're having this conversation and Cole's like, I know who you are. And Michael's like, "Uh uh-huh. He's like, yeah, you're Matt Reese. And Michael's like, yep, that's me. Turks love me. Ladies love me. Matt Reese. That's what he says to confirm that this is who he is. And it's possibly the greatest line I've ever heard on Burn Notice. Turks love me. Ladies love me. Matt Reese. Uh, it is apparently, a pretty good line. It's a great line. Fuck you, pretty good. It's a great line. But anyways. I mean, there's uh, been better lines than Burn Notice, but it's a pretty I disagree. good line. I disagree. Turks love me. Ladies love me. I will never forget that for as long as I live. Matt Reese. That's good for you. Um, But basically, Matt Reese, uh, the reason that he thinks that Jeffrey Donovan is Matt Reese. Wow, I don't know why I went Jeffrey Donovan instead of Michael Weston. There's a lot of names in this show. Uh, But the reason he thinks that Michael is Matt Reese is because Cole knows that the Turks sent two different assassin teams after this Witset guy, just in case, like, you know, one doesn't do it very well. Um, And so he's like, so you must be the other guy, right? You tracked me because you're hoping I'll give you a lead. And Michael's like, "Uh uh-huh, that's me, Matt Reese, doing that thing. Uh, But I can help you. (laughs) Turks love me, ladies love me. Um, So at this point, Michael has to kind of refigure out what he's going to do in this situation. And he decides on, okay, yeah, I'm just going to like go whole hog Matt Reese on this dude's ass. And so he sees from the room that he's in that uh, Cole has probably gotten some kind of like cell phone tracker on the Witset guy and has narrowed it down to an area. And because he knows that he has the car and the license plate, he's like, hey, I have 
a person inside the FBI who got me the car. So if you have the location generally and I have the car with the two of us, we could narrow it down pretty quickly. And uh, Cole's like, fuck you. You don't have an FBI tail. All right, tell me where you want me to kill you so that we can just like get this over with. And Michael's like, no, no, no. Listen about all of these other details that I know about the shootout that just happened, I guess, this morning. <laughs> the timeline is unclear. But he's like, I know what happened at the shot, the shooting. You only shot one of the FBI guys. This is the kind of gun you use, blah, blah, blah. And Cole's like, damn, son, you're for real. And Michael replies, You shot I am. these two men. I'm Matt Reese. They didn't react at all. <laughs> they remained dead eye and silent the entire time. And he's like, damn, son, you're for real. Um, but I think it is really, really important that when Cole says literally the line, damn son, you're for real, Michael replies, I am. I'm Matt Reese. Yeah. <laughs> he repeats the name a lot. I don't know. It's just extremely funny to me. Matt Reese I, is a funny name because it's And the fact so... that he just keeps repeating it in full. That's me. Matt I'm Matt yeah. Reese. <laughs> I'm Matt. I'm Matt Reese. I don't know if it's the apocalyptic vibe and this other guy and the fact that there's a character named Reese. But this whole thing has a weird Terminator-y vibe. It's been a while since I've seen the Terminator, so I cannot confirm or deny. But regardless, I'm having fun. These are like the sorts of men, like Michael and Cole, are the sorts of men that populate a James Cameron military epic. Oh, totally. 100%. So Cole's like, all right, since you, Matt Reese, are for real, I'm going to keep your gun, but on a trial basis, you and I can maybe work together. So uh, get in the car. We're going to go for a drive. Where? I'm not telling you because I don't trust you, Matt Reese. Uh, So as Michael is let out of the building at gunpoint, Cole makes a comment about how Reese usually runs with a team. So he's like, so tell your team to come out. And Michael's like, no, I'm alone this time. Don't you think they would have already come in and get me by this point? But I was hoping that this statement was a foreshadowing for later on uh, Fee, Jesse, and Sam having to become. uh, That's what I assumed was going to happen. It isn't. It isn't. It's just like, it is foreshadowing for something, but it's not that. It's like, not really. It's just foreshadowing that later there is going to be a bunch of guys. Well, it's more like... It, that's it's foreshadowing for this is how Michael is going to be found out because he doesn't have a bunch of guys, but somebody else does and is in a compromising area. And Cole's like, hey, wait a minute. But yeah, I was hoping yeah. that it was foreshadowing for the gang getting to be a gang again. I love it when the gang all like wears their little suits. And, right? Like, actually it would have been really team. I was hoping It would have been really fun. Too. You know what else it, We I didn't really have time for? for it, but you know, what else were you hoping for? I was certain. I wasn't certain, but I had a decent suspicion that Cole was Matt Reese. Interesting. That I that was was not something that I was picking up. Like this was my thought. I was like, what if Cole is actually Matt Reese? And so this whole time he knows that Michael isn't actually because he seems to know a lot about Matt Reese. Matt Reese is a big deal. Matt Reese. I just got a text that says Diane Bush and her socialist friends in D.C. are out of touch with Colorado, which is why I have proudly decided to vote Republican in this election cycle. <laughs> and then they sent me a picture and it says stop the liberal mob. And so I just wrote back, I am part of the liberal mob and then stop because I don't want them to text me again. But that was just like a very weird text that I just got. That is weird. You'd think that my voting record speaks for itself, but also the only time I ever voted in Colorado, I did vote Libertarian, so you know what? That one's on me. That is on you. 
That one's on fucking me. Anyways, I like this scene because like Sam is outside in the car and he's like, oh shit, Mike's at gunpoint. And so Michael basically uh, signals to Sam that he just needs to like stay frosty on the comms by playing with the antenna on the car that he's about to get into with Cole to like indicate to Sam like, hey, you need to get on the radio. And so not at all uh, conspicuous that he just starts fondling an antenna. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Matt Reese is like kind of a freak. Maybe Sam does get the signal. Michael is zip tied to the steering wheel and is driving Cole at this point. Uh, and I'm very excited because we've once again got a competent bad guy. So like I didn't recognize the names on the episode when we first started, but now I'm like starting to relax. This might actually be a good episode. I'm having fun with it so far. And now we have a competent bad guy who's like not just going to like let Michael Weston talk circles around him. Hell yeah. I cannot wait to see how he gets out of this. I am being absolutely spoiled by this episode. So now we check back in with the Fee Vaughn scene that was set up earlier and things remain tense. You know what I love about you, Bree? What's that? When you say... I cannot wait to see how he gets out of this. You mean it sincerely. I genuinely sincerely mean it. This is like, listen, (laughs) we started this joke, this podcast as a joke, but like, I genuinely like Vern Notice and I like episodes where I get to watch competent people figure their way out of challenging situations. And what pisses me off about Vern Notice is that frequently they don't give me that. That's the promise that they made me by making a spy procedural show. And sometimes, most of the time, I would argue, they do not deliver on that. But when they do, that's the shit I am in for. Like, this is what I love about, this episode is what I love about Burn Notice and what Burn Notice could be. That's why I like the fucking bad breaks. That's why I'm constantly talking about bad breaks and why I'm so disappointed with Michael Horowitz for his recent performance as a writer on Burn Notice. Like, this, this show could be one of my perfect shows. Literally, like that's what I like about this show. That's why I wanted to rewatch it. And I'm excited to continue doing so despite it sometimes being a very big slog. But yes, I genuinely am excited to see how Michael gets his way out of this situation because I know it's going to be fun and I know there's going to be tricks and spy tips. (sighs) I'm just, you know what? I don't have a lot of good days (laughs) and I just want one good 45 minute episode of Burn Notice. Is that too much to ask? Usually, yes. That was beautiful. <laughs> anyway, so the Fee Vaughn scene. Vaughn basically wants Fiona to give him the Bible that he knows Michael has. In exchange, he is willing to give Jesse his job back. He's like, I will reinstate him at his CIA job. He will never be the wiser. He will never know that Michael burned him. I will do this for you, Fiona. You just have to give me the Bible. Now, that... Makes sense. That, as like a trade, I'm like, damn, Vaughn, that's actually like a legitimately good trade that might tempt everyone. What I'm confused about is the fact that he didn't bring this to Michael, who also seems to have a vested interest in Jesse's, you know, livelihood, but also that his argument to Fiona and to Michael by the end of the episode is that like the reason he doesn't want Michael and Simon to meet is because Simon will get into his head and like maybe make him a bad guy. Like his pitch to Fiona is basically like, hey, as soon as Michael gets access to Simon, Simon gets access to Michael. And Michael is an addict for insert spy stuff here. I don't know. Like the the argument Vaughn seems to be making is that like Michael is going to be very susceptible to like cult leader Simon and become a bad guy if they are allowed to like sit in a room and be interrogated by one another. And I don't know exactly where that comes from. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure the last time we saw Simon, Michael Weston acted the exact same way Michael Weston always acts. I don't know. Like, watching this episode, and just going on this episode, it seems to me, like, the thing that they've always tried to do with Simon is make him, like, a mastermind. Like, the most evil. Like, he's fucking crazy. So, like, being in a room with Simon and interviewing him is like talking to Hannibal Lecter. He's so right. He's good gonna at like talking. use psychology. Yeah, I know. But like, we've never we they have not at all set that no, up. No, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to make this character. Well, because we've had him sort of one... Hannibal Lecter he, Joker he, character. He appeared in a single season finale episode and then immediately was caught. <laughs> and now this is only the second time we're meeting this dude, and like we still don't really have a clear beat on, like, who he is, really. So, yeah, like, the whole Simon plot has never made sense. And this gambit makes less sense, but, like, the way Fee is reacting in scene, which I assume the director told her to do, because actual character-wise, it doesn't make any fucking sense. She seems to be like, oh, no, what if Michael is, you know, flirted by the dark side? Like, what if the dark side's flirting with him and he flirts back? I'm the only dark side Michael Weston's allowed to flirt with. Uh, And so that's kind of like where we leave this scene. But again, I don't really know why Vaughn goes to Fee. Like he could have presented this to everyone. And I was sort of assuming that when Fiona was like, what fuck you, dude? I, I'm not just going to betray Michael. I wanted Vaughn to say, oh, you don't have to betray him. You should tell him that this is my deal. I bet he more than even you wants Jesse to get his job back before he asks too many questions. But that's not what he does. He does this whole weird, like, Simon Escher is Hannibal Lecter thing. Yeah, but that's um, what the show, the show genuinely believes this about Simon. Like, the show thinks that the previous season finale was so good. And they did, (laughs) like, that they have established Simon so much as, like, a crazy bad guy that everyone buys Simon as, again, Hannibal Joker. (laughs) and it's not quite the case i also thought that maybe after he was done going to fee he was going to go to sam too but that didn't happen either i don't know i don't know why he doesn't go to michael with this plan it seems like a yeah it seems like a very straightforward thing like there's no reason why he has to go to fee other than michael needs to get mad at him for going to fee yeah that doesn't quite make sense i will say also it's entirely possible i don't know if this is the case it might be because you were asking what Vaughn is worried about, the thing that he's selling. It's possible that he does not believe the thing that he's selling and that... And he's worried that Simon's going to, like, convince Michael to turn heel as well. Exactly. That, like, Simon that has I would information on management. And I wonder if that's going to, like, come back and, like, at some point, you know, Michael's going to be over Vaughn with, like, a gun to his head and Vaughn's going to be like, I knew I shouldn't have let Simon talk to you or something like that. Because, yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense. No, I mean, I doubt, doubt we'll get that. But, but like, No, we're not going to. But, like, also within the scene, that. it seems like Fiona believes him. That's the thing. It's like, I, I can buy that Vaughn is doing this gambit because he doesn't want Michael to team up with Simon. But... I don't buy that in scene, Fiona would be like, no, this makes a lot of sense. Simon is Hannibal Lecter. You're absolutely right, Vaughn. Guy I've never met. (laughs) I mean, I didn't read it quite as that. I read it as just like, well, I am tired of Michael being involved in things like this. And Michael does have a tendency to get sort of blinders on and intense. I don't think she, I don't know what she thinks is going to happen. I I don't know. I mean, you're right. It makes no sense. Yeah, this gambit is very confusing. The gambit of just 
I will trade you the Bible for Jesse. That makes sense to me. That's a great bit. The fact that he goes an extra level and it's like, and remember, Simon's really scary. That I don't buy. But we have to move maybe on. The, recording maybe Bond doesn't think that Michael will ever give this up. Like, because like, yeah, Michael seems to care about Jesse, but like, he cares about other things more than Jesse. Like, he wants to solve this case more than anything. More than he wants to help Jesse. And like, Vaughn is working on the assumption that Fee wants to help Jesse more than she wants to solve this case, which is fair. Any of these details couldn't have been, could have been put in the scene and they were not. So I am assuming that it's all dumb. We must move on. We go back to the boys now. It's Michael and Cole time. And Michael convinces Cole that they can't just, uh, so Michael basically is like, where are we going? Give me a general direction. So Cole tells him the general direction. Michael's like, cool, we can't, we have to get a new car. This is just a civilian car. And that's going to be like way more suspicious. That's an area that's been kind of blocked off by emergency vehicles. So if we're in an emergency vehicle, we will get by no problem. And they won't ask us any questions because like we're supposed to be there. And in like the spy voiceover, it's like, hey, I need a two-way radio. And so this is Michael's way of getting himself a two-way radio. And so Cole's like, fine, let's go. Uh, Because Michael knows of a place two miles over that that it's like a parking lot of emergency vehicles. And um, that's what's going to happen next. Back of the lot. I love the idea that they're going to show up in an emergency vehicle and everyone is going to leave them alone. And no one's going to be like, okay, here's what you need to do. Thank you for showing up at this emergency. Who sent you? Well, I Go. bet there's probably a lot going on. And if they see like an emergency vehicle just like drive through, they're like, yeah, I bet they're they're on their way to something. This, they're on their this way to the sucks. emergency. Because like it definitely is going to cause less of a scene than like a civilian trying I mean, to go through. No, it like, definitely doesn't make hello, sense. Hello, hello. <laughs> can I can I go through here? And they're like, no. What are you talking about? Get out of here. I I buy it. Um, but I buy it. It is a little bit, you know. But it's a little. It's burnt notice. We have to give them what we can give them. So yeah. back of the loft, Sam tests what I assume is a pre-assigned emergency radio beacon with a beer. Uh, I I assume like as soon as Sam, he's kind of just like, hello, Mikey, uh, do you hear me calling out? Hope you're calling back. Uh, So I assume that like once Michael signaled the like the radio antenna, like they already have a prearranged frequency that they would contact each other on. So that's kind of what Sam is hooking up for, just waiting for with a beer. And then there's a knock at the door that is the FBI clients because they're here for their pre-scheduled client panic scene mid-episode. And as they walk in and are like, no, no, our lives suck. We're suspended and in being investigated for our bad job today. uh, Michael calls in. And Michael calls in asking Charles Finley to go to Channel 14. The uh, As they all talk, basically Michael is like hot wiring a car and using the two-way radio while um, Cole is like getting the gate to open so that they can leave with the emergency vehicle. And during this conversation, we learn a couple of things. So the FBI's confirm that Matt Reese, Turks love him, ladies love him, is no good. And also reveal that their car lead is a dead end, which is no bueno. And uh, for Michael Weston out there, that means no good in Spanish. I know you don't speak Spanish. And um, basically, the car has been abandoned. So there's no way that they can connect the one piece of information that Michael had on Cole to actually help him out. So that sucks. And Sam's like, don't worry, we'll figure something out. Um, Like, you said he was going to his girlfriend's house. That's the the thing that Cole has. And Michael's like, yeah, do you guys know where she lives? And the FBI guys are like, no, he said she was, he was single. And it's like, man, you guys are really bad at your jobs. Like so tremendously bad at your jobs. And that job is acting. (laughs) Yes, exactly. 
Clearly, they did not act well enough for their Witsack guy to tell them that he had a girlfriend. Um, and so Sam is like, all right, I'll get you something. Hang tight. Stay by a radio. I'll do my best. And Mike is like, okay, cool. I'll talk to you later. And then Sam's like, okay, well, there's only one person I can call in this situation. And he calls Madeline, which I'm very excited about specifically because Madeline also has a two-way radio and she insists on going by her call sign, which is Smokin' Mama. I love it. <laughs> like she, Sam calls Madeline. Sam calls Madeline on the two-way radio. And he's like, Madeline, I, I, I need your help. It's Sam. And she's like, um, please call me by my call sign. And Sam goes, all right, smoking mama. Please put Jesse on the phone. <laughs> I like it. You know, I'm having it a good time. Good. So uh, smoking mama gives the, the phone to Jesse and, or the two-way radio to Jesse, I guess, because the phone is down. And yeah. they're like, Sam's like, hey, I need you guys to go check out something. And they're like, okay. Uh, back at the emergency vehicle lot, a downed electrical pole or something um, traps coal on top of a car with like a moat of hurricane water around him that's like electrified so he can't get down. So Michael has to basically, because he's still zip tied, zip tied to a steering wheel. And in order to go save coal from this like electric moat that he is surrounded by, he has to dislodge the steering wheel. And so what he does is he like runs the car into something so that the airbags go off. Cause apparently when the airbags go off they do it with such force that they can like weaken the mechanism that holds the steering wheel into place. So Michael uses that to just like take the steering wheel with him. And he gets Cole to like throw the gun that he's been holding on Michael away so that he can like help him across, but be on better, you know, better standing uh but it turns out cole has a second gun so (laughs) we're not really much further along but michael did help him so maybe this act of friendship will come through to something sometime later who knows anyways we are done with that scene they have to go get another emergency vehicle because michael wrecked their first one then fee jesse and a weirdly flat-haired madeline which i'm not used to i assume there would be some kind of comment about like how she hasn't been able to shop for hair products recently because of the hurricane but no she just like has flat hair in the scene and it's very confusing to me like uh, she has flat hair like, next week too i don't know yeah i but yeah she is oddly flat-haired in this one she is oddly flat. And I don't feel like she was flat haired earlier in the scene. Who knows? So anyways, the three of them, uh, our new uh, dream team, Fiona, Jesse, and Madeline, flat-haired break Madeline. into <laughs> flat haired Madeline. Uh, they so all break into the witness's house because they are trying to find like the girlfriend's address because now that Michael doesn't have the car to go off of, he needs to have some kind of competitive edge to have Cole keep him alive and continue bringing him on this journey. As you'll remember, Michael did destroy their first getaway vehicle, so now Michael and Cole have to hotwire a second emergency vehicle. And while Michael gets to work, he notices a tattoo on Cole's arm that reveals him as a Marine, uh, a former bomb squad Marine. And he's like, starts his new angle with Cole, which is, you seem like kind of a good guy. You wouldn't actually kill nobody. (laughs) You're a bomb guy. Mm-hmm. And what we and that clearly gets under Cole's skin, and we learn that Cole was uh, turned to his life of crime because he was dishonorably discharged when his like squad over in Iraq were found out for shipping drugs back to the states, and he was not involved in this, but he got kind of swept up in the whole scandal and was dishonorably discharged alongside the actual criminals, and so so he was like, well. Fuck this. <laughs> I'm going to go bad guy. Um, I'm going to go bad like, guy. Is this Cole's first job? 
You think? It kind of seems like it. Well, because he he basically says like all I want is to like make enough money to buy a boat and go to an island and a beach somewhere. So I assume that he has not saved up much money. So yeah, it, kind of it seems, seems like, like it's his first job. That. And also, it kind of that he becomes a guy who only kills people in self-defense now. Like it would be one thing if like he's killed like seven other people already. Right. Yeah. No, it, it definitely the implication is that this is sort of his first bad guy job. And he only yeah. took it because he really needs the cash to buy a boat. So they finally that he Michael hasn't quite convinced him to come back to the good side, but he's made a dent. So they finish hot the car and get on their way. And we head back to the witness's house where smoking mama finds an ultrasound image. The girlfriend is pregnant. So it's like extra bad that the FBI didn't know that he had a girlfriend who is literally pregnant. Like Jesus, guys, do what is your you have one job. It is to not fuck up this bad and act even a little bit good. But nope, can't even do that. Does it matter that she's pregnant ever? Uh, It doesn't really matter that she's pregnant. It just matters that like that's why the witness went and, and went to her instead yeah. of I don't know. Yeah, the actual pregnancy doesn't really come into play. It's just like, this is why he's with her. Like, that's why he went and found her after he got shot at. So the other thing that Madeline Because, like, otherwise he doesn't give a shit about his girlfriend. Exactly. If my girlfriend wasn't pregnant, I wouldn't give a shit about her. But my seed is in her. (laughs) Yes, my seed has uh, flowered. And here is a picture of the flowering of my seed. Anyways, Madeline also found like a selfie of them in front of a house and they can't see the address of the house, but they have like a picture of it. So at the very least, they can describe it to him. So Michael is back on the road trying to, you know, talk Cole around and it's like, "Mm, I haven't checked in with my team in a while. So he convinces Cole that he should be allowed to ask fellow truckers if the if the road up up ahead is clear because he's like listen if you won't tell me where we're going i can't pick a route that is like unobstructed by hurricane shit if we're taking this one causeway i don't actually know if it's passable and if it's not we're gonna have to backtrack like an hour and we our time is running out we gotta find this guy and so cole's like fine but you know i'm gonna hold on to the radio and you can't say anything weird and he's like fine And so Michael calls out saying he owes somebody a mojito if they can give him some answers. And so then there's like a very cute little scene where um, Michael, Jesse and Sam kind of go back and forth in coded language with uh, Jesse and Sam pretending to be truckers talking about all sorts of nonsense. And Jesse manages to get Michael as much information as they currently have about the house, which is that it is a white house with a gray roof and a weather vane on top. Madeline actually picks up on these clues better than I do, and I love her for it. Yeah, I had no idea what they were doing at all. Like, Madeline needs to be there to explain, oh, this is what you guys did. Because otherwise, yeah, I would have no it idea. It was pretty clever, though. Like, I, the only thing I got was that it was a White House, because they were like, yeah, it's damn near presidential. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's a White House. Um, so I got that much. But the weather vane, Jesse identifies himself as like, um, you know, my call sign is vane. <laughs> And uh, then he he call, he says, well, you know, I'm I'm pretty hot despite my gray hair, and so like gray hair is the roof, vein yeah. is weather vane, blah blah blah. I got the presidential White House bit, but the other stuff I was pretty fucking coded, and it was a very cute little scene. I liked when the it boys do spy scene. stuff together. 
And, it, you know, it worked. It fucking worked. Uh, so now Michael is finally forced to tell Cole what he has when they finally get to, like, the area that Cole has been driving them to all day. And Michael's like, uh, I lied about the car. <laughs> There's no car. Don't don't think about the car. I just know what the house looks like. And so Cole's like, fine. Let's go to the top of this parking structure and, like, look for a bird's eye view because we're here. And Michael's like, okay. And then while they're up there, they identify the house. So they finally figure out where the house is. Unfortunately, that's when they come under fire by some people on a different roof. And Cole's like, um, who else would be here? Except, and then he calls out, hey, Matt Reese, let's make a deal. And then real Matt Reese, who looks nothing like a Matt Reese, the least looking Matt exactly. Reese in this entire he does episode, not frankly. not look like a Matt Reese. <laughs> But him and his gang of friends, which is what clues Cole into like, hey, this person seems to have a lot of friends. And you, who claim to be the guy with a lot of friends, has no friends. I'm thinking that you're a liar. And Michael's like, Although uh... Michael does also look more like a Matt Reese in this guy. It's though. true. Yeah. I would buy that he's a Matt Reese more than this actual fucking Matt An Reese. An actual Matt Reese is wild. Also, what I love about this scene is that it seems to be that Matt Reese and his goons are on the the top of a different building. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? A higher building than a the different one that higher they're... building. Yes. Cole says, "Hey, Matt Reese," as loud as I just did. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was not sure how the voice carried so far, but I was willing. Everyone's to Everyone's just talking like it's normal, basically, as if they are ten feet away. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely does not yell loud enough, but you know. In any case, Cole identifies Michael Weston as not Matt Reese, and Michael Weston's like, I gotta go. And so Michael basically like jumps off this level of the parking structure to a lower one, and Cole gets back in the car, but he's got a pretty heavy car, and parking structures, as we learn from a spy tip, has very tight corners, which make it hard to go too fast in there. But Michael Weston's on foot, so he gets out first and gets to the house. Michael introduces himself to the witness and his girlfriend, as well as Cole, basically right after another. It's a very cute little scene where Michael Weston gets into the house and is like, everybody get down into the into the the kitchen. Everything's fine. My name is Michael Weston, and I'm here to save you. And then Cole comes in and is like, who the fuck are you, dude? You're clearly not Matt Reese, even though you look more like him than anyone else has. And Michael Weston goes, well, I'm I'm Michael well, Weston, and I'm Cole here to save these people. Like <laughs> That's fair. And Cole's like, well, I don't really know what that means. You're not a boogeyman in my part of the world, but um, get out of here. I have to kill this guy. I need to buy my boat. (laughs) And so basically Matt Reese and his crew pull up and trap Michael Cole, the witness, and his girlfriend in the house. And now Michael and Cole kind of have to have a standoff of like, what side are we on? (laughs) And Matt Reese is like, listen, Cole, if you leave the witnesses and just leave in the next two minutes, I will let you leave. I will let you live. No sweat off my back. It's totally fine. The clock starts now. Michael then uses this time to convince Cole that he's actually a good guy. Just be a good guy. Come on, man. And eventually and this does. Like, that fact, Cole is a good guy. Not yeah, that Cole Michael. is a good guy. He's like, Cole, you're a good guy. You were in the Marines. And Cole's like, okay, fine. So they team up. And um, oh, the way that Michael kind of convinces him. Cole is too handsome to himself, be a bad guy. It's true. He is too handsome to be a bad guy. Although we've had some handsome bad guys before. Simon yeah. Escher's handsome. And he's definitely a bad guy. Or is he? I mean, Who knows? 
Carla was a bad guy and she was hot. That's Oh, well, that's different. All of the bad women are hot. That's true. You know what? You got me there. But basically, uh, Michael pieces together details that we've learned throughout this episode. Like the FBI only got like a small wound despite a very like heavy duty automatic weapon being used against them. Um, And the fact that the bomb that he'd set up in his apartment to like kill an intruder was developed in such a way that like it wouldn't have hurt anyone nearby. So like if somebody was walking by outside of the apartment, it wouldn't have hurt them. It would have just hurt the person who was breaking in. He's like, listen, you're a good guy. I know you're a good guy. These are all of the things that I have on you that I've gotten throughout this episode because we finally remembered what continuity was to prove to me that you're a good guy. And Cole's like, you're right. I'm a good guy. You have picked up all of the clues. Let's work together. So they make a bomb out of an AC unit and get all of the bad guys down and Cole saves the day by getting Matt Reese off of Michael Weston after a little bit of a scuffle. And then uh, Cole fucks off to Antigua, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Michael makes some comment about like, I hear Antigua's nice. And it's like, I don't really know what that, I guess it's, it's more of a, Hey, I'm going to let you go sort of statement, but it kind of read like, have you ever heard of Antigua? They have beaches go there. You don't need money. You just need Antigua, and then Cole leaves. <laughs> that is that is Antigua's uh, tourism slogan. <laughs> you don't need money. You just need Antigua. It the is, whole conceit was that he needs money in order to, to me, like... Like, yeah, it is weird. It's He needed money. But it almost seems like Michael was being like, you should get out of the country. Yeah. Like, it definitely was supposed to be a scene that was basically like, the police are coming... And I'm not going to stop you from leaving. Yeah. But it, it, the based on the other information we had from the episode, it's sort of like, did you not know that Antigua was there? Do you not still need the money to move to Antigua? Yeah. Where is he going to get the money? Who knows? But at least he's got his life. So exactly. Cole's a good guy, but not a good enough guy to get the money. Apparently. Yeah. He still needs to be punished for his bad deeds. So Cole's gone. End of Cole. Uh, series wrap on Cole. Now we cut back to Madeline's house where Jesse and Michael are helping smoking mama unpack her breakables. But unfortunately, she hears over the radio that uh, there is another hurricane coming their way. So don't even bother unpacking. Global warming, climate change. Then the FBI boys show up for their sort of debrief at the end of their client of the week plot line. And Michael's like... So you definitely took credit for everything, right? And they were like, yeah, we took credit for everything. And Michael's like, cool, cool, cool. You owe me super huge. And they're like, yep, we know. All right, bye. And then uh, that actually comes back pretty quickly. So we have a quick scene where Michael brings Fee some lunch that she likes better than the lunch that Vaughn brought her. So she finally reveals about the whole Vaughn conversation she had. And Michael's like, that was a good bit. Although I don't really see Simon as Hannibal. And Fiona's like, honestly, me either. But I didn't take him up on it. Here is the Bible. But you have to promise me that we're going to do this our way and still get Jesse back in with the CIA. And Michael's like, I promise. We are going to unburn Jesse if it kills us. I have to go talk to Vaughn now. Enjoy your sushi. And he's like, okay, thanks. I like my sushi. And Michael leaves. Final scene of the episode is where Michael calls in the first part of his favor with our favorite FBI boys. Basically, they walk up to Vaughn and threaten to put him on the CIA's or the FBI's most wanted list if he doesn't listen to Michael. And I don't think that's just like a thing you can do. I don't think you can just decide like this person is on the FBI's most wanted list. But apparently it works. If you're in the FBI, you can do whatever (laughs) you want. 
You can just put anyone you want on the list. You can check people in and out of prison like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's next we'll, episode. We'll, you can do whatever the fuck you want. There are no rules. Just right. <laughs> you know the best way that we could figure out, like, the actual inner workings of the FBI, Chris? I mean, I think it's too late for us to, like, go through the trading and get a job at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Well, I've got the next best thing, my friend. We can watch numbers where the brother of the math guy is an FBI agent. What happens next, Bree? <laughs> Uh, so basically what happens next is Vaughn's like, well, I don't want to be on the FBI's most wanted list. So I guess you get to go talk to Simon and Michael's like, cool. Thanks, bro. And then the episode's over. You know, my favorite bit, my favorite thing about your new numbers bit. <laughs> yeah. What's that? It's that it seems like you were worried that leverage was too good of a television show. Oh, it definitely is too good of a television show. And there are already like four podcasts about the show leverage. So you're like, we have to talk about a worst television show. I'm gonna make her. Well, that's watch that's a our worst thing, Chris. Show. That's the that's our thing, <laughs> is that we watch bad television shows that there shouldn't be a podcast about because that's our thing. That's the reason that we've made a podcast because we're the only ones, or we were fucking burned after noticing. So basically, we make our own hell. Yeah. Got it. It's like the reason that people love watching YouTubers do like the cinnamon challenge or like spicy food challenges because we like to watch other people suffer. The thing I, that's going to oh make you God. and I famous, Chris, that's is a, What suffering. a great poll. What a great <laughs> current reference. The cinnamon challenge <laughs> in 2020. Oh my God. Listen to you cough like you've just done the cinnamon challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Do you know anything about the ice bucket challenge? <laughs> sorry i'm just <laughs> sorry i wasn't paying attention i was busy planking i used to plank a lot i also loved um the predecessor of planking owling because you didn't actually have to lay down on the ground it was actually much easier to owl than it was to plank which made it the superior viral challenge i but never mind i don't want to talk about this anymore <laughs> Well, good, because what I want to talk about is spy tips. Um, so there actually weren't that many tips this week. Uh, these seven I thought were the best. But yeah, it was a pretty light week for voiceover because they there was a lot of stuff going on on screen. So they didn't really have time to fool around with this nonsense. Um, but what they did fool around with was, number one, classified data has been digitally encoded since computers were invented. Spies have used book ciphers for centuries to send numeric correspondence that can only be read when paired with the proper text. Bibles make good code books because of the variance between printed editions and the numbering of chapter and verse. So the only thing that I got from this that I thought was useful is like, oh, it does make sense that a Bible would be a good cipher book. So if I ever need to do a cipher, uh, a Bible or an obscure style of printing Bible might be a good way to do that because like there's a lot that you can use within it. Like there are numbered verses and passages. So you could use the number part. There's a lot of words in it and there's a lot of copies yeah, of I was, it out there. I wasn't quite sure. Like is the idea that the words change but the numbers stay the same. Yeah, something like that. Basically, so, like, you can use the Bible in a, a lot Bible of different ways. Even if you have a Bible verse, it de- you need to know what edition that you're using. Like if you have right. a Bible and, verse and number. And that can keep because, it like, secure. Because even if you say like, I'm using a Bible as a cipher, that doesn't actually get you all the information because you need to know like the, the printing. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought this was that, was, that was useful. And you know, the next time I need to do a ciphers, I'll definitely use a Bible. Will, will you allow it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. It's good. 
allies. And also, <laughs> I need your verbal I, consent, Chris. And also, like, we're all excited that Brie Castellini is going to spend more time reading the Bible. <laughs> That's what she needs. It, you know, wouldn't it be wild if, like, the ultimate, like, the end of this podcast was me getting closer to Jesus. Like this right? is what it finally took for me to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Like that one episode of Fern Notice, you're gonna have like a really sincere like faith <laughs> moment. And I'm gonna talk on the phone and my girlfriend is gonna tearfully watch uh-huh. me recount a really dramatic like born again speech. Barrios is going to turn you to God. Something's got to do it. All right. Number two, a trained operative can tell a lot about a bomb maker by the way they construct their device. A directional explosive wired to a pressure sensitive trigger that's easy to activate, difficult to disarm, and only deadly to the person standing in front of it means you're probably dealing with an expert. So like the fact that he's an expert is sort of irrelevant, but like watching him like not disarm this bomb, but like manage to get into the room with it was interesting. The fact that there's such a thing as a directional bomb is interesting to me that I wouldn't have known before. Uh, But yeah, I thought there was a lot within this scene that could be useful. I'm into it. Great. Number three, if slipping your restraints is impossible, removing what you're tied to is the next best thing. Airbags deploy with enough force to shatter windshields, break your nose, or loosen the center bolt on a steering column. After that, removing the steering wheel just takes a little leverage. So if you need to like, if you're tied to a steering wheel or for whatever reason need to remove a steering wheel from a car, uh, getting the airbags to trigger would not have been my first thought. Like, I would have been I, probably a dumbass and tried to like unscrew it myself like yeah. a fool. I mean, you probably still could. This is a thing that can happen. I'll take it. Yeah. It's I probably would quicker. not have thought that was the thing that was possible beforehand. So I have learned something. I, exactly. I learned something that might be useful to me someday. Number four, anyone who's ever passed a note in class knows there can be serious consequences to sending messages in front of your enemies. When communication lines aren't secure and you don't want to tip that you're relaying sensitive information, you better describe your message. So this is the spy tip about like them passing their notes back and forth um, over the radio. And what I took away from this was the specific like triggers they use to tell Michael what the house looked like. And what I thought I could use this for is that now that I have the baseline for their code, so like the house looks presidential means that it's a white house. Or if I say something like, if I say a house looks presidential, that is an easy shorthand that seems kind of strange for me to know, okay, the house is white. The gray hair being the gray roof, using hair as like, code for something high up or the roof of something that makes sense to me so like i basically was thinking i could reverse engineer the kinds of like hints they use to develop my own kind of shorthand okay theoretically if if i had to pass along an information to somebody that was coded okay if you had to pass along some information to me that was coded Mm -hmm. like what would you say what what information i'm trying to pass along to you okay you were trying to pass along information to me mm-hmm. about the whereabouts of the nearest FBI hideout. Well, I don't know where the nearest FBI hideout is. Make it up. <laughs> Are we assuming that I I know what where the nearest FBI hideout yeah, is? Yeah, you know where it is. I need to know it. Got it. We're on the phone, but you're being... Guarded. Who does, being who guarded. does whoever I'm with think I'm on the phone with? They think it's me. <laughs> They think it's me, Christine, uh, Ch- Diane, Cherry. Okay. 
Uh, Christine, I just saw the hottest guy. He, it, it was, I was like coming back from the CVS and, cause that's like the only place I go now because, you know, quarantine, the only time I can get out is if I'm going to the pharmacy to buy medicine because there's a fucking pandemic. But anyway, so I was by my nearby CVS, um, you know, the one over on Nostrand and I saw this hot, hot guy. He was like super tall and I swear his eyes were like at least three feet above my own and he has got red hair and um like a really inviting look to him but like the kind of inviting look that is like you should come in from the behind you know like he's got like he's kind of like a freak he got like a freak look to him okay so what would you interpret from that great uh okay hot guy story (laughs) so there's like a tall building on nostrand uh-huh. That has a what red else? roof, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's one there's one more hint in there. And you're supposed to Or there's two more hints there. You're supposed actually. to I'm supposed to go into the back entrance. I don't know what the three uh-huh. means. The three feet. The, the three means the third floor. Okay. But you got most of it. I did get most of it. And I just I just like I just pulled that out of my ass. I mean, yeah. I mean it works because we just watched this episode, but like we aren't professional spies. So presumably yeah, professional now- spies do all this sort of thing all the time. You know what? I wasn't sure about this tip, but you just did that. I'll allow it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, this is good content. This is this is the content the people crave. Number five, parking garages are designed with tight corners to prevent traveling at high speeds, which is why if you're making an escape in a parking garage, you're better off on foot than in a vehicle. If I'm in a parking garage where I assume like 95% of crimes take place, I should be on foot if I'm trying to escape rather than in a car. I wonder if that's true. I don't think that would be true for me. I mean, it makes, well, yeah, because you're bad at walking slash running. Yeah. I mean, so am I because I'm overweight. But theoretically, it makes sense to me because like, yeah, they, these places are probably designed with like you shouldn't be able to go high speeds in mind like they've also got speed bumps in them they do have tight corners especially when they're more they definitely do. like i'm just I mean, saying it like, theoretically on, like, if i was running away from a parking garage i might try to like break into a car and use all of my good burn notice yeah. tips to like hotwire it but actually in fact it might be easier to escape from a parking garage on foot i, would I mean it's possible otherwise. i i do think it only works if you're taking the stairs. Like if it's like if if you're not like running along the same path as the car. Well, you wouldn't have to be because you could be like bobbing and weaving in the actual parking spots, and they can't get at you. They can't drive through that many cars. Uh, I feel like cars are still like faster than people, but not in this circumstance because of the tight corners. Like these huh. these buildings are literally designed for the cars. No, no, no I know. I have been in parking garages. Sorry, I'm just like imagining me doing it and I am the slowest person, so. Yeah, but you'd probably be slower at hot wiring a car anyways, so. Oh no, yeah, of course. It's fine, I'll allow it. Amazing. All right, we have finally, even if you won't, we're gonna definitely get there because this next tip is a slam dunk because it's a shopping list tip. Number six, you can't have an explosion without plenty of heat and pressure. Ruining an air conditioner by removing the safety sensor and pinching the cooling coil is a good way to generate both. Add some flammable household cleaner to the condensation pan and your AC unit will pump out fire instead of cold air. That's all good stuff. And I learned what's inside an air conditioner. Oh, by the way, (laughs) 
There was a thing that happened in this episode that I meant to mention. I believe in the last scene with the FBI guys. Where they're talking to Vaughn about making him yeah. the FBI's most wanted or second most wanted. But like Tweedledee and Tweedledub are like taunting Vaughn. And at one point in the taunting, they mention that they have a podcast. They do. They do. They they say like, so they basically they're like, we're going to make you number one on the FBI's most wanted list. Well, number two, but it's still high enough to get featured on our weekly podcast. Which, Okay. There's so many good things about this. The first thing is imagining these two chuckle fucks having a podcast. The most boring I would subscribe podcast. and listen every fucking week, Chris. But what's more impressive to me and important is that I believe this is the first time that podcasts have been mentioned on Burn Notice. I know. I actually, when they mentioned this, I was like, were podcasts a thing in 2010? Yeah. I mean, podcasts <laughs> like I had were to just started. This is like... Yeah, podcasts were pretty new in 2010. We, at our traveling back in time, in our journey through Burn Notice, we have now entered the podcast era. And so we begin to see ourselves through Burn Notice. <laughs> Little did these writers know when they wrote this episode that at some point there would be a podcast about that. I'm pretty sure they knew because we made a joke about how Michael Weston can't speak Spanish. And then all of the sudden, a couple episodes later, it was turned canon that Michael Weston can't speak Spanish. That's I am true. Like 90. And we also know that we have some kind of time travel abilities because of the Sam and Pat painting. So like, I think this is just further proof that you and I, at some point in our lives, will travel in time. And so this like podcast episode, this mention is much like the clues about the White House and the weather vane and all that is itself a clue. Um, here's the thing though. If we're affecting the bath the past twice, Burnout is not better. Well, because I don't want it to be better because then we wouldn't have started a podcast about it. Oh, so it's, yeah, there's like, it's that kind of problem. It's like, exactly. A, yeah, it's a paradox. <laughs> That's valid. All right. Okay, so there are six practical spy tips that we have been fine with, uh, or at least five truly good ones. Uh, so yes, we have a, at least five practical spy tips. We pass that, uh, they get the point. Um, was the weekly case solved with spycraft over violence? Yes. Yeah, yeah so. like pretty completely it was a spycraft episode because it was one of those ones where like they get put in a tight spot and have to kind of improvise, improvise their way out, which is True. exactly the spy shit that I'm looking for. Was there a distinct alias? So I'm of two minds because <laughs> yes, okay. Matt Reese was an, an alias sort of given to him, but mm. I'm never going to forget the name Matt Reese for the rest of my fucking life. And the fact that he's introduced himself and confirmed his alias by saying... Turks love me, ladies love me, Matt Reese. Yeah, I, I, here's I don't thing, think I'm though, ever going to forget that. <laughs> nothing that he does after that lives up to lives this up character. to that. I know it's like, true. He's but not like... in character ever again. He just acts no, like Michael not. Weston, but his name is Matt Reese. Yeah, and like I have resigned myself to the fact that it's not going to get got. But like I love Matt Reese with my whole heart. Oh my god. So yeah, no, this is not a thing. Sad. Okay. Uh were Fee and Sam used well? Um, were they? I, I mean I think I yeah. think Sam was because he got to talk about his hurricane Michelle. He got oh to be a trucker on the radio. They did uh, they, he did get to be a trucker. That was very fun. He was sort of like Fee didn't fun. really Fee didn't Fee get to do Vaughn a ton. And it's just sort of, yeah. yeah, Fee Fee talked to Vaughn and like pointed Michael in the right direction of a gun runner, but like 
on it and like was at the house when Madeline found the ultrasound. Um, but like, yeah, Fee didn't, Fee was kind of in the background of this episode. Yeah. So also she, I background. wouldn't give it to, for her. Was Jesse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was really that. Yeah. I'll give you Sam maybe. I'll yeah. So here's the thing. I will, I'll take Sam. The problem is because of our new rating system, if the episode is going to pass, one of the points it has can't be a half point from the fee and Sam. Cause like when it was just four points to, you know, get a good episode, great episode of burn yeah. notice, you had to get at least uh, three of the four and getting only fee or only Sam was acceptable. But now that we've added the Jesse thing in, if Jesse is not interesting enough to be a main character, unfortunately, this episode does not get to be a great episode of Burn Notice because the Fee and Sam point only counts as half now. And, of course, Jesse was not interesting enough to be a main character. He was, like, barely, barely there. He didn't do fucking shit all. <laughs> you can make a better like, argument he was for Fee than you could for Jesse. Exactly. Like, Jesse was basically a prop. He was used as a bargaining chip for Vaughn and then, like, had a couple of jokes in Madeline's scenes. But ultimately, yeah, Jesse doesn't do fuck all in this episode. So, unfortunately, it hurts my heart because I really enjoyed this episode. But you really it's did. not a great episode of Burn Notice. What's sort of interesting is that, like, one of the things about our Jesse rule is that I think the Jesse rule, as we have it, demands that we should expect Burn Notice to do a thing that it's not actually good at. <laughs> which and, is? Which is make its characters interesting. <laughs> and and the thing is, that that's not the goal of Burn Notice. Like, it does make me question the Jesse rule a little bit. Like, I think Jesse being an interesting enough character, being a main character has less to say about whether or not an episode is a good episode of Burn Notice as much as it is a good episode of television. I don't know if I agree with that because I think basically the sort of like heart of this rule is they have to justify adding a new person to the ensemble. And so like interesting enough to be a main character, I think is a twofold thing. The part that you're referring to is, is he a interesting character in television? But I also think that this question is speaking to the core of, does he add something to the ensemble? And like adding something to the ensemble doesn't have to be a great, you know, marker of a great television show. It could just mean he allows us to do more interesting things, whether it's because of his character, we are exploring new depths to Michael's, like, you know, ability to bend the rules. But it could also be he allows us to do plots that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to do because now we have enough, like, team support with the four of them to accomplish more things. Okay. Uh, the, and I don't think he does either. That I'm in saying this episode. is that we don't need... Jesse to have a great burn notice episode. Yeah, but they chose to introduce a fourth character. This uh, is on them. So, yeah. I guess, like, what the question is, is does Jesse... Add something to the episode? Yeah, but, like, because the thing is that Jesse is a new thing, right? And so whether or not Jesse is used well means that the show is doing a new thing. And I feel like a core thing about the great episode of burn notice rhetoric, and not rhetoric, rubric is not has nothing to do with doing new things in some ways what we're asking when we ask is this a great episode of burn notice is is this episode of burn notice predictable is it comforting? That's not necessarily true does it i don't think follow that's the structure does it offer the pleasures that we expect it to offer and i don't think that's the same as predictable i i, that's fair, I will but, call bullshit unpredictable okay so, so what, are you, the, the what are you proposing the comforts that we expect it to offer 
And whether or not Jesse is a character that's used well isn't inherently relevant to the the comforts that Burned Notice offers. I think it has to be though, because Sam and Fee have a a thing, and like no, I like I get what you're saying, but it's also kind of like. So are um, you proposing a different rule? I don't know. I don't know exactly what this means. It's just something that I'm thinking about. That's the thing, though. When we say we say that a great episode of Burn Notice is a different thing than a great episode of television. Right. So the question of how well Jesse works in an episode means how well does he create a good episode of Burn Notice? I think for me, it's always been, could this episode of Burn Notice happened without him? Like, is he consequential enough in the plot and adding enough of a justification for his being there that it was worth introducing him and having him in this episode. Because, like, I mean, he he's in the credits as a main cast member. He appears before Bruce Campbell in the cast list. And so I think, for this season at least, while we're still sort of piloting him, I think that the only way to really deal with him in our rubric is to determine, like, okay, is the fact that he's in this episode adding something? And I would argue that in this case, it's not. It's not. No, I'm I'm with you. Like, and I and I think that that makes sense as a rule. If you can come up with a better rule for it, like by all means. But I don't think that Bernardus is nuanced enough for us to come up with a any more nuanced. No, I was like trying to figure out what it means to be a good episode of Bernardus. So wait, are you saying that is this coming up because you think that we should make this a great episode? It of does, definitely does offer the pleasures of Bernardus. It does. I was tickled by the pleasures Here's of Bernardus in all of the right places. Like, if I'm being perfectly honest, part of it is it that, like, while I think, I feel weird calling this a great episode of television, and I want to give you some. Because <laughs> I was going to argue for it. Because I think it is. I think it has all of the markers of, like, a bad breaks. It has the improvisation. It has like really good scene setting because like Bad Breaks, obviously the scene setting is like the sort of bottle episode-ness of it. And this, like the bottle episode is, you know, a bombed out hurricane ridden Miami. So I thought that was done really well. Uh, I liked that there was a competent bad guy that he, it was a more active effort to fight okay, against. Okay, but here's what's interesting, I like that he right? has to pass like coded messages back and forth like it has all of the things that i want out of a burn notice episode okay but that's not the question that we're asking that's the question that we asked for is it a great burn notice episode the point is that a great episode of television is like a different thing the pleasures of burn notice are different from the pleasures of television i mean the pleasures of burn notice are more specific so like sure but like also we we have uh, we have kind of accepted that when we say something is a great episode of television when we are oh talking yeah obviously about notice there are slightly different rules but like if last week's episode was a great episode of television then this episode definitely is this is a better world building episode than last episode it is this is actually i will say that the best argument that it has for being a great episode of television is how well it uses the hurricane yeah like, it uses it incredibly well. Yes. Um, I think all the plotting is kind of fine. I don't think it's bad breaks good. But it's also, the thing is, if we suggest that the idea of, like, what makes a great episode of television is that it's similar to bad breaks, all we're really saying is, is it a good episode of Burn Notice? Because the things I, that I bad you. breaks are good at are not necessarily things that have to do with, like, storytelling or, like... I think I'm using it more of, we considered bad breaks a great episode of television, and this has a lot of similarities to what made bad breaks a great episode of television. It was intricately woven, it was layered, it was paced well, it was exciting, like... 
individual scenes held our attention in ways that most like regular episodes of Burn Notice don't. And I and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying like it feels like bad breaks because of like specific plot and Burn Notice similarities. I'm saying it has a lot of a lot in common with bad breaks in terms of like the things about the television episode. That's valid. I liked it. I liked this episode. But like, I, I, yeah. liked, I liked it. I liked it more than I liked last week's episode, the Lisa Joy episode. Yeah, but my point is that I think I, these last two episodes about the same. I like this episode about as much as the Lisa Joy episode. Actually, no, I think I like the Lisa Joy one a little bit more because like it gets it was to be like about one. fee and like you know. Sure, but like, and that's valid. And I hear what you're saying. I I'm not I'm not trying to invalidate this line of questioning because you're absolutely right but in the interest of ending this podcast episode because we still have another one to record i am going to argue that i am fine with it not being a great episode of burn notice because uh we made the rules and i stick by them and it did not deliver on enough of those rules on our rubric but i will argue for it being a great episode of television and see i feel like i feel more despite the fact that it does not Bit our rubric, I feel more confident saying this is a great episode of Burn Notice than I feel confident saying it's a great episode of television because it's better at doing the things that Burn Notice specifically does than it is at doing the things that television does in general. But that's not how our rubric works. I know. This We must respect the science, Chris. This was fine. I don't... It made me laugh. It made me tense. Like there were some tremendously good performances in it. It was well paced. Was were there tremendously like, there was... good performances in it? Yeah, I thought um, Jeffrey Donovan did a good job in the first Jeffrey scene Donovan with Vaughn, where he like loses his cool when he's in the bomb scene. Like the bomb scene with Cole and Michael Weston was really, really good. The Vaughn scene is good, yes. And I think it would have been a good episode even if it wasn't a Burn Notice episode. Like obviously there were things about it that like could only happen in Burn Notice, like the spy, like the specific spy stuff. But if this was any episode where like a group of characters were trying to like navigate a hurricaned Miami to like accomplish a goal, the structure of this episode would be a really good like skeleton for that. I mean, a lot of it is kind of spinning its wheels. I don't know. I think it's good. I certainly think it's better than that Craig O'Neill episode from last season that you liked because it happened to be about Fiona. I mean, the brother episode. I liked it because it was about the main plot and the main characters and it told a sort of like character story. I don't think this tells a character story. Like, no, it tells, it like, either. a really kind of but bland character to. story about Cole, but it's also kind of like, who cares about Cole? The show never makes that. Yeah, but, like, there wasn't a... not care about Cole at all. But, like, did Bad Breaks make us care about anybody? No. It was just an exciting episode of action television, and it was a great like platonic ideal of what like an action television show could do and still be fun and engaging and well-written and tight and yeah. detailed. And I like think the it continuity was a lot this episode. tighter. But I like it as much as I liked last week's episode. I actually would argue that I like it a little bit better despite the lack of Fiona. And you know, Fiona's my girl. You know, I would never yeah. call her dirty. And because of that, I'm still strongly in the camp of great episode of television. Here's the thing. If I say yes, I'm saying it because we've been recording for so long and that seems unfair. I mean, do you want to dispute this and give it to Joe at the end of the season? It doesn't seem worth it, (laughs) is the thing. It's like, it is a very competently put together episode of television. It is much better at being an episode. I liked it. To be fair, I liked it. It is a much more competent episode of television than a lot of episodes of Burn Notice. I will give it that. So sure, fine. (laughs) Well, with that glowing endorsement, uh, officially, this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. However... It is 
a great episode of television. And with that, there's nothing left to say, but thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. It's fine. <laughs>